0: So when was it that you knew that radio was going to be your profession? <laughs> um, at the ripe old age
1: of seven, <laughs> I. Um,
0: radio, really, at, at seven.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I. I um, uh, growing up, and I, I, I was I was born in New Jersey, and in my, my early years, uh, we lived in, uh, in a town of Wayne, New Jersey, and I uh, remember. Um, there was a uh, radio station, WABC, it was on the AM dial. It was um, just a blowtorch of a radio station and probably the most popular radio station in the country at the time. And um, it was around the time that the uh, the Beatles were, uh, were big. And um, I just would listen on this little transistor radio on the school bus all the way to school and all the way home and uh and i actually would even sneak the radio the the little transistor i was I'm, i slept in the bottom bunk of, of bunk beds and my uh, my older brother slept on the top bunk and i put the would put the radio in the slats above me and as soon as i knew he was asleep i'd grab the radio and put it next to my ear and listen to uh to uh, cousin brucey on uh on wabc and his show at night and just wanted just i i was just mesmerized by and i love music and uh and i just you know from that point on i always wanted to to be in the business and um and i got my opportunity when uh when i came uh when i went to fairfield university um i went i uh, first day of freshman year they had uh, an orientation for all the clubs and one of the clubs there was the college radio station and they were desperate desperate in need of of students to uh, to operate it so i signed up and i'll never forget I, I i i signed the list the next day in my mailbox was a notice saying to come to a meeting i went to the meeting two days later and uh in less than a week i was on the air doing the news <laughs> and uh four years later i was the general manager of the radio station and um and graduated and didn't uh have the guts to tell my father that after all the money he spent on my tuition <laughs> that i wanted to be a dj so i took a job um I, I, was, I was recruited off campus by a by a defense contractor in schenectady and by this time obviously not obviously but by this time we had moved up to lennox i we moved to lennox when i was uh, just before my sophomore year of high school and um and there was a gentleman who lived uh down the street from us his name was dick jackson and dick owned WBEC am and fm and i got home from uh, from college after graduation and before i started my my job that i had accepted uh off campus i um i i walked down to his house and rang the doorbell and said mr jackson um i introduced myself and I said i i uh, would really welcome the opportunity if you would listen to my demo tape and i handed him the tape uh that's how long ago it was it was an actual (laughs) reel-to-reel tape and um and i said would you listen to this and tell me if i have any chance in commercial radio and uh and he was kind of a stoic guy he kind of looked like teddy roosevelt actually and um and he said sure i'll listen young man Uh, and and (laughs) he said i'll let you know in a couple of days i said okay and i and he closed the door, and I walked back to the house. And two days later, I got a call from a gentleman named Michael J. Bund, who I think is still on the air in Pittsfield at WBRK. I'm not sure, but he was uh, he was uh, the uh, program director, or not program director. He was the uh, I think he was like the ops manager for the radio stations. And um, he asked if I'd come in to interview, and I did. And they hired me part time uh,
0: at the radio station so it was like um you know you kept on maybe going through a process and probably dad was like okay defense contractor that makes sense son but like you walked down the street you know you kept you kept veering in that direction uh of radio yeah yeah and (laughs) and
1: and and, i mean my family knew that i i loved the radio i love radio um but um nobody ever thought that, you know, I would, I shouldn't say nobody ever thought that but but there was never a discussion about whether or not that would be a career. And uh, the interesting thing is that uh, of the six, uh, uh, there were six of us, I have uh, uh, three sisters and, and uh, two brothers, and uh, none of us uh, followed my father's footsteps into his line of work, we all went different directions, everybody
0: did something different. Now, now, what did your dad do? Because I'm, there's probably some listeners who may remember recognize the name.
1: Sure. Uh, yeah, he. Um, we actually moved up to uh, the Berkshires in uh, September of 1973 uh, when he took the uh, the position of uh, vice president general manager for Edie Jones for Beloit Jones in Dalton. As a matter of fact, your dad worked yes, for him. Yeah, yes, he did. <laughs> <laughs> so I know one guy who remembers your dad. That's yes. for sure. <laughs> and. Um, and uh yeah so you know we we moved up here and and um uh and and he was you know he was the American success story he really was he was he was born a poor poor kid uh he was poor his whole life until after after college and uh and you know ended up retiring as you know senior vice president at Beloit and, and at the corporate headquarters and did very well and he was just a he. He was my my hero, my idol, and uh, my best friend. And uh, I'll tell you when. Fast forward a little bit. I'm, I'm now at this point working in New York, uh, uh, in in of all things, HR personnel for a company called Rome Telecommunications. And I uh, and I hated it. I hated every minute of it. And I all I was trying to I was trying to get into into radio and. Uh, my dad flies in uh, to on business, and he's and he, uh, he had reached out to me. Said, "Let's grab dinner." And we grab dinner. And during dinner, he says to me, he "says Your sister tells me that you don't really want to do what you're doing. That you really would rather be in radio." And I said, "Yeah." I, I did. he says, "I said, but you know, Dad, after all you, you've done for me, you know, I, I didn't think that was kind of wise." And he said, "Why not?" I said, "Because it because I didn't think you'd." you'd think it was the right move. And he said, Steve, I just want you to be happy, go do it. But if you're going to do it, give it your best. And I did. And, uh, and I've had a heck of a
0: career. Wow. Um, so anyway, um, I, you know, it's funny, because we've had this conversation quite a bit on the podcast and the power of parents. And actually, what you said there was um, interesting, because you had you had a, a preconceived notion of disappointing him if you went in a direction and thank god your dad knew you know yeah. like, that, like that is i mean that's that's the best dad move there is out there
1: yeah and and the, and the interesting thing is that uh he was as i said before he was he, he was my best friend but he was also a phenomenal advisor um and uh and we used to you know i for um Oh gosh, for 30 years, I lived in Connecticut. And um, especially after my kids were born, we would come up here to Lenox where my parents uh, uh, lived. And um, uh, we'd arrive on a Friday night and you know, while my wife was putting the kids to bed with my mother, my father would be in his den and the two of us would sit and we'd talk. And the first question he'd ask me is, so what's going on at work? And we would talk about it. And, and I would ask him advice, and I would ask him, you know, you know, uh, how he thought, you know, I should handle things. As a matter of fact, um, one of the things I did in my career was I, I had the great opportunity to run Westwood One radio networks. And I remember when I was when I was uh, uh, interviewing for the job, and they had given me all the data, all the all the financials and the statistics, and the company was really hurting company was was on the verge of bankruptcy. And this is when when about was this? This was in uh, two thousand and eight, uh the spring of two thousand and eight. And um my dad was in his final days. I mean he was he was he was uh at that point he was eighty four years old and and he was failing uh in his health and I brought everything up to him and um and I said hey can you look this over and tell me what you think and I'll never forget this. I I gave him all the information on, on a Saturday afternoon, and I went out for a run because, as you know, I'm a big runner. <laughs> and I came back from the run, showered up, went back into his den, and he was sitting there. He was, he was uh, you know, as I said, he was, he was in his final days. And I said, so what do you think? And he looked up at me, and he said, um, he said, do you think you can do it? And I said, yeah, I think I can. And he said, then you're halfway there. Go do it he said, it's going to be, it's going to be tough, but, you know, from what you showed me and from what you, your plan to do it, because I had to do a pro forma as to how we were going to pull this thing out. He said, I, you know, I, I, think you're on track. And, uh, and so I took the job and, um, and we turned the company around and it was a huge success. And he helped me in a couple ways, uh, before he died, uh, you know, with, with advice and, and how to handle some things that I, I, you know, it was really up in the air as to how to handle mm. but That's so beautiful. Anyway. That's yep. beautiful
0: you have had a career that has spanned this evolution of an industry that there aren't many i mean well there have been i'm sure there are other industries that have changed dramatically but my god in any kind of media over the last 30 years, uh, the change has been dramatic. And with technology coming into play, with podcasts, with the internet uh, and content everywhere, accessible to, uh, to everyone, um, many would think, wow, radio is a dying industry in some ways. Um, and yet there you are, Westwood One, you, you revived that company, got it back. Um, you know, I'd love to know how that happened. Uh, but just overall this industry uh, man uh, it has been quite a transition
1: yeah it, well you know it's funny John since uh, before I started in radio, people were telling <laughs> me that radio was dead that radio yeah. was dying radio's been dying ever since TV was invented <laughs> maybe ever since the radio uh, yeah well yeah
0: TV right <laughs>
1: and um, Charles Osgood had had a a great uh, a great uh, attitude about it he He would say, you know, if um, if uh, radio was invented after TV, people would be like, "Wow, this is TV without the pictures." We we can take it anywhere. Right. Um, That's a great point. Yeah, and um, and and yes, radio has um, has has had an interesting um, lifespan, and it is. And and I have to be honest with you: is that part of the problem and part of its troubles? A lot of its troubles were self-inflicted mm. um for for from decades the business was run and I, and I don't mean this uh uh I'll just say it it was run by white guys mm. rich white guys mm-hmm. who never worried about innovating never worried about anything coming at you know at them um they were making good money and it was uh you know it, and 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 uh, and as technology came along, you know, the, the best one is, is, you know, the internet and digital, you know, at first people running, uh, most of the radio, um, uh, businesses, uh, thought that, uh, it wasn't a factor and, and they were wrong. And then it was like, Oh my God, we gotta, we gotta, you know, um, we gotta get into this. And then it was, it, they didn't know how to go about it. And anyway, um, but th- over time, things have, have, uh, have worked out to where, um, you know, digital is a, is a very viable part of our business. And, uh, and then the next thing was, you know, was, was, you know, the streaming platforms. Um, I'll tell you a really, really funny story is when I was at Westwood one, I got a call from, uh, from the folks uh, that ran Pandora, the original, the, the founder and, uh, and his head of, uh, development and uh, they were based in oakland california and they asked if if we could get a, if they can get a meeting with us because they, they uh they were contemplating um they were trying to figure out how to how to expand into the spoken word content mm. and uh so i said sure i'll come out so so uh i went out there with my head of my west coast operations and um uh, we walk into their uh into their their building and it was very impressive and this big um, uh receptionist ta- desk had, you know, Pandora. Um, and, uh, and I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, and we go into this conference room and I started to just, you know, uh, do a little bit of an intro as to us and to how Westwood one, what we were doing and how we, we were bringing things back. And I said, you know, it's kind of like what you're doing. I said, cause you know, basically this is, this is very similar to radio, what you're doing. And, mm. and I'll never forget. The woman's name was Jessica Steele, the head of development. She says, oh, Steve, we are not radio. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So
0: we progress in our don't, conversation. Don't do not associate yeah. what we well, do well, with well, what you do. <laughs> well, well, wait a minute, it
1: gets better. So we're, we agreed to see if there was something, some way we can, we could do a joint effort. And we went and, uh, you know, we had, ha- we had, we had worked about six months. I hadn't been back there. And, uh, and, uh, about six months later, we go, we go back and I walk into that same floor, that same receptionist desk. And this time it says Pandora internet radio. <laughs> and, um, and everybody at Pandora hates it when I tell that story, <laughs> but, uh, <I> bet. <laughs> but, and, and you know what, it, it's, uh, one of the things that, that radio had to adjust to is, uh, you know. We had to wake up and realize that, hey, we weren't we were no longer the only source. We had to make sure that we were part of of the um, uh, of the American consideration set that yeah, for entertainment and engagement. And I think that's where radio has has continued to succeed. And probably the best thing that or one of the best things, I shouldn't say the best. I always talk in superlatives, I'm sorry, but one of the best things. <laughs> is that um for radio was the pandemic um because uh you know a phenomenon occurred in that people were alone Hmm. and they were they were you know uh quarantined and and people were stuck in their houses and were not in big groups and there wasn't a lot of things to do you couldn't go someplace to be entertained you had to be home but you also everyone was so concerned and so uh interested in what was going on in their local community in their local Mm. area and desperate for information as to what was the latest you know the latest mandate what was the latest development on on you know uh on the disease and also on vaccine on the vaccine front and whatnot and um radio saw a resurgence local radio saw a resurgence Mm. and particularly in the smaller markets um second what we call the secondary and tertiary markets so that would be really markets um uh, from uh, you know the radio markets are all numbered from numbers I'd say 50 on down and that's when I think radio did some of its best uh its best work and 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 at the t- and in the time of of local uh how do I say challenges whether it's a storm or a traumatic event or um uh, a pandemic um radio always shines Mm. and there is a huge trust factor with local radio and the and and the and you know television has has destroyed its its trust factor with the public um and and that's because it was all about ratings Mm -hmm. um with uh with you know radio for the most part because it is so segmented by format and whatnot um people still go back to not only be entertained, but to be engaged and to be informed. And, um, and so I, I uh, you know, since the pandemic um, in, in many instances, um, the business is doing better than it was before. Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, right? I, I look at it and, you know, and you've worked for some really big companies. I mean, Westwood mm-hmm. One is one. I think you worked for Clear Channel
1: mm-hmm. at some
0: point. Even our friends at Town Square, we, <laughs> you worked with them for a little bit Square, um, yeah. and, and, uh, and greater media. Don't, don't forget and, greater, and media. And greater media. So I find that the the best that radio does is when these big companies find a way to effectively localize. So because radio is, you know, it's like Tip O'Neill said, all politics is local. Mm -hmm. Um, I think all radio is local, this terrestrial situation where you have this immediacy to what's happening right here. And so it doesn't matter how big the company is, it could be a nationwide company, but each one of those signals that people tune in when they're driving, you know, between 8 a.m. and you know 8 30 to drop their kids off to school or you know yeah. driving home from work uh, at five o'clock or four o'clock um you know that's that's when radio is at its best
1: yes and 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 y- y- you hit the nail on the head it's it's all about it's all about local it's all about local and it's funny because just last week or two weeks ago i'm sorry um the uh, national association of broadcasters had their annual convention out in L- las vegas and it was the first time it was in person in three years and um two of the CEOs of the uh, of the largest of the two largest uh, radio groups, one being iHeart, the other one being Odyssey, um uh, Bob Pittman from uh, iHeart and um David Field from Odyssey, uh, uh they were on a panel and they talked about radio. And I thought it was really interesting. I wasn't there, but I read the the, the um uh the the uh, reporting of it that uh they touted the localism of radio and how important that is and how that is how success is 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 all based on on the local ability to engage people and the trust factor and yet those two companies 10 years ago tried to make themselves national platforms Hmm. um and they are very successful companies and those two men are very very uh very bright and and successful men um but it was, in, it, but it's interesting that that uh, it was the first time in which I heard that to that degree, and I was like, okay, you know, this is this is good because this is exactly what we should be doing, mm. you know, and, and the numbers uh, uh, back it, you know, radio when I st- when I first got into radio back in I, I shudder when I say this <laughs> commercial radio when I got back when I got into radio in 1981 in Pittsfield Massachusetts. Radio reached 87% of the, of the adult population of the United States. It's amazing. It is still, we still reach 84% wow. of the adult population of the United States is reached by regular local radio. Um, uh, television, uh, currently broadcast television, and this, this data is, it was just out about a month ago, the reach of broadcast television has dropped to 55%. Mm -hmm. when back in
0: the 80s, it was like 93, 94. Yeah, I like to think of it in the way of of the behavior and just think of how people approach things because you can imagine that the amount of time that someone would then sit in front of a television to watch local TV, there are so many more... things competing for right. that literally your desktop. Uh, and of course there's the phone and there's the iPad or, uh, what have you, uh, so many different things that you can be doing to get similar information. Mm-hmm. Whereas the radio you're in the mix, you have the Bluetooth. Okay. So you can listen mm-hmm. to a podcast, the John Cole podcast, or <laughs> for example, you can do that. But I find myself, um, every morning when I drop off my kids, I flip it between, um, Maybe a podcast, but then I want to see what's on the FM dial to Mm -hmm. see what the two, uh, you know, the the two morning hosts are talking about, you know, if they're on, if it's a commercial, then I flip over to the community radio station, see what's Mm -hmm. going on there. And then if I'm not interested in that, I may go to NPR. And I think I think a lot of people do do that. So when you're talking about that, that is a real number that makes a lot of sense. Because it's in the mix, it may not mm. be okay. I'm sitting down listening to the radio, but it's part of it's part of the behavior. I think yes. of, of that many people.
1: Yeah, and, and and it's it's all about engagement. Everybody uh, through the different iterations that came at radio said, "Oh, this is going to be the end of radio." You know, one of them was satellite radio, mm. right? Satellite radio right. is is when you when you boil it down, their their reach is is, is extremely small right uh, you know uh, um and 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 even if when they give those uh free trials when you get the, well, the new car tri- right, right and and uh and by the way if you re-sign they count it as another subscription oh man um but uh but but you know it it's it's a choice you know okay so yeah you have a choice uh there you could you could go into satellite radio or, or, or you know but the thing is is that um uh, where I was going with this this topic is that radio has the ability, and I call it the wow factor Every, you know we have the opportunity to impress the listener to give them something that they didn't anticipate. you know if you're listening to a uh, a, um, a, a a streaming service like a Pandora or Spotify, they're all set on algorithms that are that are based on what your past, your past history is. What have you been listening to? What do you choose? Where do? You, it's all based on what, how you have op, have operated in the past. Right. Well, after a while, that becomes boring, super boring. <laughs> and there's and 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 this is something that I've been. And as a matter of fact, um, and if he listens to this, he's going to be a little surprised. But my current operations manager and I are in a bit of a debate because. <laughs> He's like, no, we have to, we have to, we have to play the songs that people want to, you know, uh, always want to hear. And I'm like, no, let's. Why don't we give them a little something like a surprise? Let's yeah. see yeah. every once in a while, right? You right. know, mix it up. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, and and I think that's one of the things that that uh, radio can do that that no other medium can do.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I and I think in a way, it's how. Sometimes these tiny community radio stations that have like zero budget can sometimes get a chunk of market share because you have the creativity there. So like you know they're actually playing some like deep tracks from like Led Zeppelin or something, and and people love that. Well, are you going to get a huge percentage of market share? Probably not, but like you get these super loyal listeners, and there's value to that. So you know, I mean, there's a lot of creativity in there, and when I do hear from program directors. Um, they take great pride in that because there is this idea, all right, well, you're an, an adult AC, whatever, and we're going to mm-hmm. just roll with it. And every, you know, two hours, you're going to hear this song or whatever the whatever right. the, the pattern is, that sort of thing. And there's sort of understanding on that because people do listen mm-hmm. in certain patterns. You know, they have their drive times, they have this and that with, as far as their behavior goes. So you kind of anticipate that with the number of times you play these songs. But- The really good program directors do throw those flavorful sort of mixes like you'll Mm -hmm. you'll get that 90s tune in there or you're you know so and and you know i've had these conversations a lot with with them and 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 you know and sometimes you hear that song that you haven't heard since college and you're like yeah that's awesome all right like and 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 it and it leads to some more loyalty i think there it's true that most people want to hear
1: a certain block of songs and and they don't they don't venture far um and you can't you know i remember when i was young a lot of times they would do like um the thing they would do is two for tuesdays and they would play two songs from from an artist well the risk there they found out is that what if you don't like that artist right. then the person's leaving <laughs> the person's like, not sticking around for oh, two i got
0: nine minutes of this yeah this
1: crappy band this, yeah um <laughs> so so it it the the um the magic is in being able to to keep the listener engaged and keep them listening and uh and and um, not burn them out
0: i do hope that you are enjoying the podcast i just want to take a quick moment to let you know that this is a production of 180 media that's my full service communications and marketing agency We do a full range of content development, graphic design, web development for WordPress or Wix or other web platforms, copywriting, video work. Check out 180media.com and see also some of my past work and the agency's past work on my blog, johncroll.info. And now back to the podcast.
1: The other thing I think that radio can do that other mediums can't do, and it really, and, and I realized this. When I went to Detroit in in uh, 2013, I had uh, I accepted a position to um, uh, run a uh, radio group for Greater Media in Detroit. We by had,
0: the way, you're you're kind of known in the industry as a fixer. Well, that's what. Yeah, that's where I was going with this. We uh, I mean, you did it at Westwood One. If you can do it there, I, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> And and uh, and well, the Detroit challenge was it was even bigger <laughs> um, because we had three radio stations. Two of them were heritage radio stations. One was was station WCSX, which was the original classic rock station. It was the first classic rock station ever put on the air. And then we had WRIF, um, which uh, which the uh, faithful in Detroit call it Riff, and Riff. Uh, it just celebrated its 50th year on the air. And it is without a doubt one of the greatest rock radio stations ever. And it and, and Detroit is one of the greatest rock markets ever, ever to exist and still is. And uh, anyway, I got there and um, not even three weeks after I got there, there was this terrible incident. incident in which a police officer in one of the suburbs of Detroit, was shot and killed, making a, a traffic stop, mm. and he had left a wife with three kids under the age of six. Mm. And my producer of the morning show 4 WCSX, it wasn't it wasn't Riff, but it was CSX. He said, "We got to do something. You know, we, we really we really should do something." So I so I said, "Well, what do you want to do?" He says, "I want to put together a concert," and um, and I'm like, uh, "Okay." Let's just be careful what the expense is. Blah blah. Well, anyway, long story short, he was able to get people like um, uh, Grand Funk Railroad, Mitch Ryder, um, uh, several other uh, really uh, well-known Detroit acts, and um, and we put on a concert um, in uh, at the Royal Oak Amphitheater, and uh, it was amazing the response in the community and and. And I mean, people were lined up around the block to get into this show, and and we made sixty thousand dollars for this for this woman in one night Mm. in in Royal Oak, Michigan. It was maybe four months after Detroit declared bankruptcy, Mm. so times were hurting, and but I but and so many as I was standing there and people were were. coming up to the town and I, and and I was listening to what they were saying to the DJs and how, you know, this is what it's all about. This is so great. You guys are doing it. And I was like, my God, we got to do more in the community. Yeah. Yeah. And so we did. And those, those, uh, two radio stations, when I got there, riff had dropped to seventh in the market and CSX was 13th and our AC station was 17th. And by improving the on-air performance claiming the Detroit mantle that they rightly had, you know, that was the other thing. It's like, we are Detroit's radio stations. Let's make sure we tout that, but you know, let's be, let's, let's be proud of that. But then let's also, let's get involved in the community. Let's make sure that that people see that we're, we're a part of this and we're helping to pull the city out and the community and the area out because the suburbs around Detroit weren't hurting the city was though. But anyway, um, and, uh, and through that, in, in four years, we went from, uh, from 7th, 13th, and 17th to uh, number one and tied for number two. The other two stations were actually tied mm. by the time that uh, Greater Media was sold to Beasley Media. And those stations are still incredibly
0: popular and incredibly successful. I find that radio, as far as media outlets, they're the ones that people, like, you, know, you can look at numbers maybe a newspaper has x amount of readers maybe the tv or or online entities you know have have certain numbers but there are very few if any i don't think any other you know of the of the media outlets types of media that have that personal connection mm-hmm. you know there's something very personal i mean as as we're talking you know here this is an intimate setting mm-hmm. you know you're talking to them, you hear voices and you there's something I've always that's what and probably since you were a little kid at seven years old you know you understood that um just innately uh but but there is a certain intimacy there which I think gives radio that opportunity to do things like that uh more effectively
1: yeah and 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 um and that is you know that is a, a a part of the magic and part of the part of the the success of of the medium is that uh it is one-to-one you know you can't do that with tv you definitely can't do it with digital yeah this is really the only medium where we can actually talk to you know an individual you know don imus one of the most famous radio personalities ever in his farewell broadcast the last thing he said he addressed the audience like by, by saying you i did it for you it was and and right. you brought me great success and 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 gave me my life. Mm-hmm. And, he, and, and I thought it was just a wonderful way to end his incredible career was that he put it on a one to one level. Yeah. And that's what that's
0: again, it, it's it's what people crave. They want one to one interaction. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a really great lesson also for radio people out there, young people, <laughs> is when you, you know, are approaching the microphone, think about it as you're speaking to one person, mm-hmm. as opposed to say, hey everybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, everybody's out there, but you're not speaking to everybody. You're speaking to one person at a time. Right. Which really is amazing. That's what the power of radio is. It, it really is, yes. It is. It is. So so um that and that's you know,
1: that's what gets me up in the morning every day. I mean, I, I'm one of the few people, I got friends I have friends that, that make over a million dollars a year and they're miserable in their jobs. Mm. I've gone to work every single day loving what I do. And and it's uh and it's been fun and it hasn't been it it I as you know John I've had I've had ups and downs. Sure. I there've been there've been some, some real slow periods um but uh, but it,
0: it's been great. It's been great. You know, you kind of have this, I guess quasi you know sales. I know there's a big portion of your time when it was sales, mm-hmm. and then there's operations. Um, you know, not to get too much into the anatomy of what makes up uh, the radio sort of operation and the, the, <laughs> the um, organizational chart, but, you know, how would you describe, of course you're an owner now, so we're gonna get to that <sighs> in a little bit, but, but in your career, there's been uh, times where it has been primarily sales and, and mm-hmm. operations, uh, you know, later on. So h- how did you evolve from, okay, I'm a radio guy, I, you know, maybe I want to be on the air a little bit. I'm reading news. I get to go do some stuff at WBEC. And then I want to continue in this industry and I want to continue in this industry and make a good living, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's a conversation. A lot of radio people have, it's like, okay, I love radio. How do I make a living in this? Um, you know, you certainly have done that, but, you know, tell me about that, uh, a- approach and how your career has evolved that way. Well, it's, um, it's interesting. You know, I, I, I've,
1: as, as I already said, I got into it because I loved, I loved radio and I, and I loved the whole idea of being able to, you know, be on the radio. Um, and uh, I learned pretty quickly uh, after my time. At, I, was, I was at WBEC for about a year and a half um, and did okay, you know, and, 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 uh, and, and um, had the opportunity to then uh, jump to WPYX in Albany when, when they went on the air. PIX one hundred six. Capital <laughs> Lands Rock Authority, um, and I, I uh, and I did that for about another year, and then my day job, as I said, I was working at the defense contractor. At the same time, um, they promoted me and and uh, offered me a, a, a promotion and transfer to their corporate headquarters down in Greenwich, Connecticut, and I had to make a decision. And i was you know i was making the peanuts on the radio but i you know and i my you know my main job was this you know defense contractor thing and um I, i'd taken a job there out of college in what was called the production control department and was quickly promoted in schenectady first to a to a supervisor on the manufacturing floor which was another we, that's another story for another <laughs> podcast But, and then, then, um, uh, when, uh, when Reagan really started the push to, to improve the military, we had to go to a three shift operation and, uh, the, the, the plant manager felt that the guy who was in, in human resources couldn't handle it. So he made me the head of HR. I was 23 years old. Oh my God. (laughs) And, um, Yeah, it was crazy. Wow. And, uh, and so I, and I did that for about a year and a half. And then they promoted me, as I said, down to Greenwich, Connecticut, and they put me in charge of production. I was a head of production for the M155 Howitzer cannon, mm-hmm. which was the most strategic ground weapon in the U.S. Army at
0: the time. I was 25 years old. <laughs> and by the way, you could, and, you could have continued that career. You probably would have been miserable um, yeah. because it wasn't radio, but, right. uh, <laughs> right. but, I, but but and, and you had that distinct, you had that, that fork
1: in the road, right? Right. There. So anyway, and, and <laughs> I only, I only tell you that, and you can edit as much of that out as you want <laughs> is, is because what then happened was I, 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 I went down to Greenwich with my sole intention and I had to quit the job at, at, at uh, pyx because i couldn't obviously couldn't commute between albany and greenwich um so i was so i I said to myself i'll go down there i'll do this but in but i'm gonna really try to get into new york radio get somehow get into Mm. new york radio and uh yeah greenwich isn't
0: too far right no greenwich was it
1: was a a 25 minute train ride into manhattan and uh and um so uh i was down i i I went to greenwich and eight months into it they announced that they're moving the headquarters to Waterbury Connecticut and I was like oh no (laughs) so I quit oops sorry I quit and um and I'd had some money saved up and I um and and I, I I uh tried to get into into you know CBS or NBC or ABC and wasn't getting anywhere and uh, had to get another job, and so I accepted the job as an HR manager for a company called Rome Telecommunications, and they had a location in um, White, uh, no, yeah, White Plains, and then and then they had an operation in at uh, in Manhattan, right on Park Avenue and Forty Sixth Street, and my and my role was to was to be the HR guy for the Manhattan operation. I'm like, all right, at least I'm at least I'm on the island. I got a chance to get into. And um, I was there about a year. And uh, one day I get a call from uh, this headhunter and uh, I'll never forget her name. Her name was Maxine Circus. And Maxine (laughs) said, Steve, I've been, I've, I'm calling because I've been sent by a fortune 200 company that really needs somebody to help with the corporate staff, with corporate staffing. And you have a, and and they asked me to reach out to you to see if you have any interest in it. And I'm like, why would they? wanted to talk to me and i was like no maxine i'm not really interested i don't want to stay in hr i'm actually trying to get into some other line of work but thank you very much and she called me about three or four times finally i said maxine tell me who it is and, you know maybe <laughs> but so she said and this is again showing how old i am she said it's rca now rca at the time owned nbc as soon as she <laughs> said rca i said i'll take the interview <laughs> i interviewed with rca mm. RCA was planning on moving their corporate offices out of 30 rock and they were going to put NBC in Secaucus and the rest of RCA was moving back down to Princeton, New Jersey, where RCA actually got started. And, um, and they needed somebody to oversee the, the actual, you know, moving of the people, you know, making sure we, we, we do that. Right. And so, uh, I, I said to the person who was doing the hiring i said uh, i'll do that do this but when it's done obviously i won't have a job i said but i if i when it's done if it's done properly I'd, i i really want a shot at getting into nbc he said steve if you do, if you pull this off you'll be able to go anywhere
0: <laughs> um it was, it's so funny how like i don't know the universe was kind of like knocking on your door hey it, we got an interview for you hey yeah. we got an interview you're like no well, i, I want to work in radio <laughs> Well, it's, well, it's, and and it, and it's
1: also a a message and I, and I've told my kids, I've told lots of young people this and and my kids included, you know, don't, you know, any opportunity to advance if it, if if there's a a path that you see take it. Cause um, you know, I, I took a chance, you know, and, and what happened was, is that, we're um i am working at rca again it was eight months almost to the day that um i'm in i'm doing the job everything's going great and my boss calls me in his office and he says hey you know how you wanted to get to nbc i'm going to get you there sooner i was like why am i not doing a good job he goes no you're doing a great job he (laughs) said but nbc has a real problem and they need somebody That has union experience which i had from my from my defense contractor because the the uh the the manufacturing um the workers were represented by the uaw so i and i had to deal with the uaw so they needed they need somebody with union experience obviously hr experience and and also understands the radio business i was (laughs) like okay so i go down to I, i i drive up because I was, I was based in Princeton, New Jersey, because as I said, they were moving everybody to Princeton. I drive up to 30 Rock. I meet with a gentleman by the name of Gene McGuire, who was the head of, of uh, employee relations for NBC. And uh, and he had me meet with about six people, um, the two general managers, the general manager of NBC AM, the general manager of WYNY the general manager of the uh, of of the NBC radio networks, which there were four of them. Um, And then I had to meet with the program director for uh, NBC. am (laughs) and the program director for Y and Y and and they all liked me. And I was offered the job and I, I, you know, went made the transfer. I started I'll never forget this. I I started on St. Patrick's Day and i get go into gene's office i meet him in his office and he closes the door he says now i'm going to tell you why you're really here we're firing howard stern and we got to make sure that this doesn't get screwed up
0: oh, man. <laughs> i was like oh man uh don't um, wonder you had to meet six people <laughs> So so. An, an, anyway, without
1: going into all those details, I was then in charge of my title was director of employee and artist relations, which I thought which was, was a great title for a pretty lousy job. But it was. Uh, but but I was involved in the radio division and heavily involved in the radio division. Yeah. Um, and and fortunately, the general managers of the two of uh, the two general managers of the radio stations and the head of the networks all uh, all saw that I. understood the business and so they they would let me like i actually sat in their staff meetings i had a lot of i i was involved in a lot of decisions and
0: um and (laughs) so did you did you fire howard stern (laughs) well i didn't do the fire no 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 no. but i had to make sure that from private parts they were like wndc yeah yeah (laughs) that whole thing oh man well i mean was any of that accurate at all or was that just totally well the uh,
1: move well the movie the movie uh if you remember in the movie, Robin gets fired, right. not Howard.
0: Oh, okay. But okay. in the
1: book, Howard, it's there's a chapter about Howard's getting fired. And it was the greatest thing that happened to him. And it was the end yeah. of NBC Radio. Yeah. Um, because what happened was uh I think it was the following December, or might have been a year later, um, GE bought RCA and Jack Welch's motto was. If you're not number one two or three or mantra not motto if you're not number one two or three in your business either fix it or get rid of it mm. and uh he didn't have the patience to wait for radio to fix itself and quite honestly looking back on it the people that were there weren't weren't going to be capable of fixing it and so uh they decided to dismantle it mm. and i was given the, the role of Handling again the personnel side of it, hmm. all the radio stations, we, and, and we had um, we had uh, 60 something radio stations in um, 13 markets, and uh, um, we had to sell them all, and then we had to sell the networks, and we had to handle all the terminations and whatnot, and uh, and we did it, and it was pretty bleak. As a matter of fact, uh, we sold NBC AM. And the company that bought it, Emmis, turned it into FAN, WFAN. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and when it was all done, I'll never forget this. My boss now was a guy by the name of Jeff Jeff Trollinger. He was he was from GE. I'll never forget. Jeff comes in my office and he goes, Steve, you did such a great job. We've got a huge position for you. We want you to go out and 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 uh, be the vice president of, of, uh, of uh, human resources, for our white appliance division in circleville ohio <laughs> and i said jeff thank you very much but i'm not going to do that <laughs> not going into appliances thank
0: you <laughs> so you asked me how i got
1: so so what i did was in a panic i then reached out to everybody i could think of um to see you know what should i do what should i do and they were all people in in the radio business that i had met through nbc and they all said the same thing they all said well you already got you already have a firm understanding of programming and, and production. You've got the corporate side, okay? Because you just spent you know the last two years in the corporate side of the business. If you really, if you really want, because I wanted to get into radio management, and I said, if you really want to get into management, you got to do a stint in sales. And I hated sales. <laughs> I did not. I, I did not see myself as a salesperson because, I, first of all, I'm extremely shy, and and I and I, I I'm not good at cocktail parties. <laughs> but um I said you know what if I'll give it a shot and I was really and they said the best place to go was CBS FM and, and uh, which at the time was the oldest station in New York they were known for for developing the best salespeople. Mm. so I got an interview and the general sales manager there was a guy by the name of Steve Carver and the local sales manager was a woman named Maura Mason and um, the three of us connected and hit it off and they hired me. I took a huge cut. In I was going to
0: say, because now you've gone from basically like a VP level of HR and now you're like an account executive who's going to have like a territory, probably what do they say? Uh, you know, killing what you eat and you yeah. know, that sort of thing. Like you, you were probably working on a big chunk of your salary is probably commission at that point.
1: Yeah, it was, they, there was a small base Oh no, there wasn't a small base. What am I talking about? It was all, (laughs) there was no small base. There was, it was, uh, it was drug versus commission. So they, they did give me a guarantee my first year, which was um, about
0: 40% of what I was making at the time. Hmm. But I, so you were really taking the leap. Yeah. I mean, you really want to be in radio. (laughs) Right. But, but
1: I had, but I had, I I had, I had, uh, I didn't have, I wasn't married uh I, I didn't even own a I didn't even own a house at the time I I was you know renting and and I had I had some money in the bank so I was like you know what let, let me take a take a shot yeah and um and it worked out incredibly well because I, what I found out was that um when it's my job I was able to do it mm-hmm. um and I would force myself to cold calling which scared the heck out of me i remember the first yeah. first time i went cold calling i remember i threw up in a garbage can <laughs> oh, outside of of the first place i went into because i was so <laughs> nervous um
0: but um uh but you get used to it you know and sometimes it's like you just got to do it you got to pick up the phone yeah and just dial the number and just do it, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, it gets easier from there.
1: And, <laughs> and, and, and I also found out that what it, it was easier because I believed in it. I yeah. believed in the medium. I believed in, yeah. the, in what it could do. And the, and the best bit of, of advice that Mora and Steve gave me is that you're not selling Bibles. Okay. What you have to do and by that they meant everybody knows what's in the Bible.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, right.
1: and, and you're going to, if you're going to buy a Bible, it's because you want what's in it. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is you're, you're, you have to convince someone that you can help them yep. succeed Yeah. and you got to show them. And it's not about selling stuff. It's about helping them succeed. Yeah. And it was the most valuable lesson and most valuable approach that I ever got. And that was the basis of my success, and I have and I have ins- I have insisted that in every organization I've run, is that we are solution based. We've tried to f- we use this powerful medium to make things happen for the people who invest their money in us, mm-hmm. because if they don't succeed, we don't succeed. That's right. And um and uh and and CBS FM took off pretty quickly um, after I got there and it wasn't because of me it was just because we had the right group of people we had phenomenal talent um, and we went from fifth in the market uh in billing to number one in New York in billing and uh, uh, we held that we held that for a couple of years um, and then f a n started uh started really coming on and and um and and uh, and anyway By then I went to, uh, uh, back in those days at CBS, in order to get into management, you had to do a stint in national sales. So I, after six years at the at CBS FM, I went to CBS, um, radio reps. It was called, it was a national sales arm of CBS radio. And we had 110 radio stations around the country that we would sell to national advertisers like home depot like well home depot didn't exist then but like american (laughs) airlines um mcdonald's mcdonald's
0: it's the one that you always hear (coughs) yes so um is it true one time i mean this is a little sidebar did, did mcdonald's try to just stop radio for like? I yes. know uh, and 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 it lasted like a day or two <laughs> when they went back to it
1: yeah it lasts i i, I think that's a little more than a day yeah but not i, I wasn't but, sure if that but was it was like, yeah. but their their sales dropped, plummeted mm. in certain parts of the country and they're like oh my god we got to get back on the radio <laughs> um, i just wasn't
0: sure if that was an urban myth no it's true that's, true. that's yeah. a true story
1: <laughs> um so uh so so I, so I so then i went i went to the national Division, which i didn't want to go to because i just wanted to be local and i have to say that in hindsight uh, i'm glad i went um because it showed the whole i I learned a whole different um uh, level of not only level of selling but level of 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 how um to make things work on a bigger scale Mm -hmm. And that was um, because because we we're selling 110 radio stations. Not we don't you don't know, you don't always sell all 110 to an advertiser. You sell the ones that make sense for that advertiser. But you had but you had to make it work around you know in the United States, not just in one market. Right, right. And, uh,
0: and, it's, and it's hard to say, oh yeah, yeah. We'll we'll slip in an ad after the. I mean, so you get 110 stations. Yes, yeah, you know. Yeah. Like, and, how does that work? <laughs> yeah. And 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 it was also
1: it was also more of a of a of a you know uh how do i say now the term is programmatic type of sale which you're just selling numbers and um and and, and audience mm-hmm. you know um but uh yeah but, then
0: it, beca- it becomes a little bit less creative it's just more of a numbers game you know In in a, in a lot of ways yeah you think yeah
1: yeah and so um and i was i was good enough that i after uh after a year, a little over a year, I was made New York um, sales manager, and then uh, a year later, I was I was uh, promoted to VP GM of the entire division. Hmm. And um, and right after I got that title, Mel Carmazin, who is a very famous um, uh, radio mogul, uh, who has has been retired for a while, but he's the guy that made Howard Stern. Howard Stern on the FM dial um Mel bought CBS radio and he immediately uh sold off our division to a company called Interrep um and uh and Interrep didn't own any radio stations it was just basically a a broker of time for you know uh radio and it, it was awful for me mm. and um and I, I went uh and, and worked at Interrep for about a year and a half and one um one day I get a call from this guy this guy uh his name was Jimmy DeCastro and Jimmy DeCastro was the CEO of a company called Chancellor Media and Chancellor Media had become famous a few months before for being the first company to ever pay a hundred million dollars for a radio station Mm. and the radio station was WLTW in New York okay and um through um friends uh, mutual friends he had heard that I was pretty good and that uh I was miserable <laughs> and he it's a good and, combination for,
0: <laughs> <laughs> for an opportunity <laughs> yeah
1: so uh so one night I'll, I'll never forget this because it was uh it was in um 97 because no ninety ninety eight. 98 because my wife was pregnant with my my first child with with our first child with Damien and my son and um, I was watching the uh, World Series uh, on, and the phone rings and she answers the phone and she gives it to me. She says, it's Jimmy DeCastro. And I'm like, Jimmy DeCastro, what's he calling me for? Like, it can't be Jimmy Castro. It has to be somebody, you know, you know, trying to punk me or something. So I uh, so I pick up, and go, hey, Jimmy, how's it going? And he's like, oh, it's not going too good. I'm like, oh, my God, this is really Jimmy DeCastro. <laughs> Cause he was a pretty, he was a pretty well-known person in the industry. And, and I knew his voice. I was like, Oh my God, it's really Jimmy DeCash. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he said, uh, he said, Steve, he goes, um, I'm sorry to bother you, uh, you know, but, uh, but I, I, I was wondering if you could help me out. And I said, yeah, I guess I, I didn't, I didn't know what he wanted. And he says, he says, uh, I hear you're pretty good. I said, well, thank you. And he says, um, <laughs> He says, I just bought a radio station for a hundred million dollars. And the local management has, is telling me that not only aren't they going to beat the market and in in sales performance, but they're not even going to keep pace with the market. (laughs) And he said, I didn't buy a hundred million dollars. I didn't spend a hundred million dollars to not pace with the market. He said, "Uh, I need somebody to, to, you know, Take this over for me, and I said, "Well, I'm like, well, wow." He says, "He's uh, um, he goes. Are, are you are you going to be in in your office tomorrow?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And he says, "Good. I'm going to be in New York too." He said, "I tell you what. Why don't we meet in in um uh, in Bryant Park at eleven o'clock?" And I'm like, "And and Bryant Park at the time had two like like uh, restaurants, the cafe and the grill." I said, do "You mean the grill or the cafe?" He goes, "No, I mean the park, the park." I'm like.
0: <laughs> This is like clandestine, okay. like, you like, know, oh, CIA like, meeting or yeah. something.
1: So I'm like, uh, okay, Jimmy. And he goes, well, you know what I look like, right? I said, yeah. And he says, he goes, and I understand, you know, you're 6'4", dark hair. I'm like, yeah. And at the time I had a mustache. I go, yeah, that's me. And he goes, we'll find each other sure enough at 11 o'clock the next morning i i uh i'm standing in uh, at 43rd street and and sixth uh, <laughs> avenue and up pulls this car and out steps jimmy DeCastro. we sit down on a bench and we worked out a deal <laughs> and two weeks later i was the general sales manager of wltw and um and uh and that radio station at the time was fourth it was number one in ratings in every day part except morning because of howard but we were number one in adults, women, and men in every other day part. And we were only fourth in billing in New York City. Mm. And what I found out quickly was it was because of the attitude that the radio station had in the community. Their attitude was like, hey, we're light FM. If you don't want it, somebody else will buy it. Mm. And I immediately said, oh my God, I got to I got to go on a goodwill tour and show people that you know we got a different attitude now
0: right like if yeah if you if you don't want to do business with us screw you we'll we'll, exactly. we'll go to the next guy and that that turns clients off that so, that turns advertisers off
1: it not only does it turn advertisers off but it then it, it then uh quite honestly it, it it does
0: come across on the air mm. um and uh and so isn't any, that interesting yeah. how the sort of culture of us and you would think okay well it's the personalities who are in there yeah but those personalities are a part of a living organism that is the station that yeah. includes the sales that includes the operations people and and all that I mean they're you know that, that's fascinating yeah and and the program director the
1: time was a guy named Jim Ryan Jim Ryan is one is without a doubt one of the true geniuses of programming and Jim is now he's now uh he, ironically he's now um uh, programming wcbs fm in new york which is number one uh <laughs> with uh, of the music stations and um and jim was uh, just a phenomenal partner I, I i met him and he hated sales he hated everybody that was in sales before me and i just said to him look and i told him my experience i told him what i had done in all the way going all the way back to pittsfield and i said i, I i'm here because i love this i will never i will never cannibalize your radio station as a matter of fact all i want to do is i want to make it greater and he and i became really good friends mm. and to this day we're good friends and jim and i um took that radio station from fourth in billing in in new york city to number one in billing in the world wow to seven we made we 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 built seventy million dollars in two thousand and one, even with 9-11, affecting fourth quarter. It was uh, the first time and the only time a radio station has ever built seventy million dollars to this day. Wow! And we held. We stayed between seventy and sixty-six million for the next six years. Wow! And um, <laughs> yeah, and I Delicious. and 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 that's how I got to West One because. Uh, Chancellor Media had sold to Clear Channel, and they sold the Clear Channel in two thousand. In two thousand, and then two thousand one, we had we had our monster year, and then we were we were the biggest radio station in the world, and we returned sixty five cents of every dollar to the bottom line. It was it just unbelievable, the radio station, and we did things that radio stations never did before like there's a thing uh, there's there's an event every summer in new york called uh, broadway and bryant park it's uh every thursday afternoon from july from uh, july 4th to labor day broadway shows come out and perform at lunchtime for free uh myself and our promotion director at the time bridget sullivan started that Mm. we went to the park and said and, and, and i have to be honest bridget was approached by the by the Producers of Guild, um, for Broadway, um, because, um, I don't know if you well, you're probably too young, but in, um, in 1998, there was a pretty bad recession and Broadway was really hurting. Mm. And so we, so by time 2000 came around, they were really in dire straits and, and. Uh, they said, "Is there anything you can do?" And Bridget came up with the idea. Yeah. I just, I just made it work, and I yeah. got the contacts at the park. And anyway, that's now a New York institution. Yeah. Well, radio did that. Mm. Radio created that. Mm. And and uh, and that's another thing that I learned. And I've done stuff like that around the country since then. And um, so I'm jumping all over the place, but I got, no. I, I'll get to. Um, but that's the so but that
0: you know, but you know, being open to that and I think you know and that goes to the culture because you know if you have a radio station of people who just want to go through the motions I think that's any business I mean whether it's you know uh, WBEC or New York City or Beloit Corporation whatever it is if you have a, a group of people who are just going to sort of go through the motions and do what is in their job description but that creativity I don't care what industry, but that, but that's a that's a big deal, and I mean it. It does creativity, it it it's powerful. It's
1: extremely powerful, and 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 um, the success of that event is t- directly tied to the fact that we were reaching people one on one and telling them, "Come on down to Bryant Park." on on uh on Thursday afternoon for free concerts and we told the producers it's it can't be it can't be um the understudies it's got to be the stars mm-hmm. so we had like Chris and Chenoweth out there wow. um we had Nathan Lane out there we had um uh Matthew Broderick uh performing um anyway so that's just another example of the power of radio and what I love about radio is how mm-hmm. you can do those things so anyway, Clear Channel took took us over took us over in 2000. By the time 2008 came around, there was a um, I was looking for my next thing
0: and because uh, yeah, I mean Clear Channel has a very negative connotation. Of course, it doesn't it doesn't exist anymore, right? Clear. Channel. Well, it's iHeart. It's iHeart. They I mean, changed so their they, name. They, to they, they rebranded because their their reputation. and yeah. So, I mean, what happened there? Um, you know, because I remember when I hear Clear Channel. It's like, oh, this massive conglomerate that's just going to just you know go and and go buy all these stations and cut everybody and 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 so on and so forth. So, you know, what what happened there? Well, I think you know
1: they became so big there's only you know you really get to the point where you're so big there there's only so so many ways you can manage all that Mm -hmm. and um and and they they also took on uh 21 billion dollars in debt Mm -hmm. and to service that debt is insane they had to do major cost cutting they had to find ways to um to satisfy the FCC licenses that they have by you know by broadcasting, but they had to cut costs in a big way. Hmm. And the easiest thing to do is just homogenize everything. Yeah, and
0: um, it really hollows everything out. Like yeah. you talk about how this uh, how radio is local, but when you're doing that across this massive, I mean, you're you're really just cutting out the heart and soul of a lot of stations. For sure. Yeah, and and and
1: um, and this this is this uh, is prior to Bob Pittman getting there, um, the prior management it, it really did a huge disservice to to the radio industry. And that's part of what, what the problem of radio and what we're trying to overcome now. Mm. Um, and that was one of the things that I, I, I did not agree with. I was running their biggest radio station and they didn't care. They didn't care anything about the radio station. They didn't care about All they wanted was for us to conform to what their their models were going to be. And I was like, "Mm, I don't think so. I was really lucky that a good friend of mine, um, who was not in the radio business or the TV business, he was actually in publishing, had an opportunity to go in and be the president of Westwood One. Mm. And uh, CBS was selling their stake in Westwood One. And a private equity firm by the name of the Gores Group had bought it, had bought the 73% share that CBS had. And they were making changes and they hired uh, my friend. And it was funny when he was interviewing, he was first interviewing to be the, be the for the position of uh, president of uh, CBS radio. And... Uh, um, and he had reached out to me and said hey i've got an opportunity in your space and i don't know anything about it can we meet (laughs) and we would meet for we would meet for beers on tuesday nights um right across from grand central before we both jumped on our trains home and i would and he would have a list of questions and i would give him the answers and um and he didn't get the cbs radio gig but les moonvez who was the head of cbs really liked him and, and, and it was the right move because CBS's problems in radio at the time were programming based. And they hired Dan Mason, who was a programmer. And Dan is, is a wonderful man and a wonderful programmer. Um, and, uh, and my buddy, Tom, wasn't a programmer and quite honestly, didn't know radio that well. But, um, but Moonves really liked him and Moonves wanted him close. So even though CBS was selling Westwood One, uh, Westwood one was still the, um, uh, the syndicator for CBS radio news. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so like, um, so, you know, they were our biggest client, so to speak, or biggest vendor, I should say another client. And, um, and so, uh, my friend Tom, uh, inter- uh got the job at Westwood one and I, uh, and, and I continued to like advise him on Tuesday nights and then, uh, You know at one point he just said he goes this is crazy he goes why don't you just come work with me (laughs) i'm like okay and uh and i was ready and uh you talk about another leap of faith i had never been in network radio i didn't i i i I didn't even like network radio i didn't like the way it was even sold or or how it worked because it had not it was not based on performance it was just based on selling as many spots as you can Mm -hmm. and not caring whether or not it worked and network radio was in serious trouble back then and uh particularly westwood was and um we went in there and i quickly realized that a network is just a big radio station
0: yeah i was i was thinking that because you know they're (laughs) they're creating the content they're but they're selling ads like as, Mm -hmm. as a part of this and then that's sort of like getting patched in through this but it's still there's still content being created that's got to be quality content you yeah know, you got to sell it
1: yeah and 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 what really drove what really uh uh opened my eyes was um I joined in I joined Westwood one in June of 2008 and uh the 2008 Olympics in Beijing China was uh that September and I and we were the exclusive audio uh, uh we, we had we had the exclusive rights to the audio for the Olympics. So um, we would <clears throat> we had um we would take clients we took clients over to the Olympics. And um and so um I'll never forget this. It was the first time my wife had ever been away from our kids. And um our kids were uh Damien was 10 and Alex Alexandra was uh was 8. And um and so we're on the plane to Beijing. Uh, and, uh, and I, I was introduced to this gentleman, Dave Curvin and his daughter, Montana, and Montana was 10. And we had, a, we had, you know, we had invited clients and a guest and he took his daughter, his 10 year old daughter, and Dave was the head of marketing for Intuit and Intuit's biggest product to this day is TurboTax. Okay. <laughs> and so you know i meet him on the plane and and and, uh and he was sitting across the aisle from me and uh and we get talking and i'm telling him i'm new and you know my grand ideas you know i'm you know i'm doing the whole sales type thing and he says to me uh he says that's fascinating. He goes, he goes, uh, you know, I'd, uh, i I want to talk to you more about all that. So we were in Beijing for a total of six days because we weren't. The way we worked it was, we did three different waves of three different groups of clients, and, uh, and I'd spent most of those six days. Dave was with me. He and his daughter were with me and my wife and a bunch of other clients, and we got to know each other pretty good. And on the way back, on the flight back. He says to me, you know something? He says, I've been advertising on Westwood One for 10 years. He said, 10 years ago, I invested $90,000 with Westwood One. He said at the time my budget was a million five. He said my budget is now 15 million and you're still getting $90,000. <laughs> and I and and he right. said <laughs> and and he said he said 3 days ago you were the you asked me how are my are, how am i measured he said nobody ever asked me that before
0: mm.
1: he said if you can help me hit my goals you'll see a lot more than ninety thousand dollars. i said dave and they were based in there's i think they're still based in san diego he was based in san diego i said dave let me come out and see you so i went out and saw him we created uh this incredible program and 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 it was and the reason i'm saying this is because i suddenly realized that i didn't have to change my approach i just had to make the approach work on that level mm-hmm. and we did we changed everything about how network radio was sold mm-hmm. we changed the industry we we, be, we uh, that year Uh, or actually the next year 2009 we had counted for 65 percent of the growth of network
0: radio and we were and we were the number three player in the field and so and so what was it what was the so you had the conversation with him in san diego uh and and what what they were they were and they to this day
1: they still TurboTax's biggest competitor is h and r block Sure, but TurboTax at the time, this was the first time anybody ever came out with a basically a tutorial uh, for doing your taxes, Mm -hmm. and that's what TurboTax was. Mm -hmm. And they had online help, but you basically did it yourself. They sent you this little kit. He just needed to get the message out. To his credit, he had already established, "I've got to get this done, not in April, not in March. Our window is December to." December to feb- middle of February end of February. Mm-hmm. okay, if we're going to make this work, well it's Westwood One, had the Super Bowl, and we had the Grammys. And so what we did was is we started and, and the Grammys, um, the nominees are announced in, in December. So we came up with this whole uh, concept of, uh, of letting listeners you know, vote on who they think the Grammy winners are going to be. We had uh, access uh, to uh, the dress rehearsals for the Grammys. Uh, the Grammys are always, are always on Sunday night, and the dress rehearsals are Thursday and Friday. And we would have this thing called Radio Row, in which we would, we would um, have space. I forget how many stations. I think it was like 80 radio stations that were our affiliates, that they they could come out and we would provide space for them and they can broadcast from Radio Row and the Grammy Foundation and us would make sure that all this talent would come through and they would just interview people and they'd just go from radio station to radio station being interviewed. And it was great for the record labels. It was great for the te- for the artist. It was great for the radio station. So we made it great for TurboTax. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we said, to every radio station is every act, you got to ask them, how do you feel about tax paying your taxes? (laughs) And of course, everybody (laughs) says they hate it. Uh, We would we recorded each of them. And then we've, um, we created spots for them, in which the talent was, you know, talking about how terrible their taxes uh, experience was, and that TurboTax could help them. And it was um, they their sales increased
0: 30 percent in that one year in the first year it's amazing how just a simple concept you know just a simple question um can do it can yeah do it you know there he was you know doing his ninety thousand. you know just getting his spots you know for for all those years and then you know and just that creativity just you know just putting it in a different framework and then just doing a little extra work to put those spots together crushes it yeah crushes it And, um, we went from, uh, uh,
1: I forget what the first year, uh, they paid, but, um, four years later, when I left, we had a $4 million contract a year with TurboTax. Yeah, it's pretty solid increase. Yeah,
0: nice. (laughs) But that's, but that's because we got
1: results because we got results. I, I laugh when people say that young people don't listen to radio. They don't listen to radio like we did but i got a 22 and a 23 year old that all through college they both went to the university of michigan the university of michigan rowing team used to used to practice listening to the rock station in detroit (laughs) and and that was after i left it you know and and they had riff on and and these kids and and you go to i just i was just out of my daughter's graduation at, their, at her party, it was all music from my era they were playing. It's not the new music. They're, and they're listening to the classic rock station. They're listening to the country station. you know. And, and, and uh, the thing is, is that we have to do a better job of giving them a reason to stay with us. Mm. They're going to check it out. And that's the other thing. is Young people, they'll go if somebody else
0: tells them, hey, check this out whether they stay or not is how good you are right right you got to have quality content and I think ultimately quality content finds an audience because you know because they that it's worth listening to right at the end of the day it's actually very very simple but um so it's not about the secret of oh how do we how do we unlock the secret of Millennials well great great content how do we (laughs) generation Z create great content, you know, um, and understand the audience, obviously there's different things, but that I think sometimes we overthink that, or even when we get older, we're like, oh, that younger generation that, you know, I mean, yeah. people are people. Yes, I mean, and I don't care if you're a 15 year old or a 30 year old or a 70 year old, you know, again, quality content. I mean, people, you know, younger people are listening to podcasts. So a lot mm-hmm. of times people think, oh, well, they're listening to podcasts and not radio. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because they'll listen to both. Right. They'll listen to to all of it if it's worth listening
1: to. If it's worth listening to, exactly. And and um and the two can co can coexist. You know, as a matter of fact, my company we we have a podcast on sure. And 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 we're in the process. And it's very infant stages because we've only been. You know, I've only owned. The business since November.
0: Yeah, let's not bury the headline. You own two stations. I own four. Uh, four. Oh, <laughs> wait, did that change since the last time? Jesus. Four it, stations, not two. Oh my God, you are the king of the Cape. <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm Mr. Cape. Yeah, and uh, yeah, talk
1: about talk about intelligent planning. I moved to the Berkshires and I, I acquire radio stations on the Cape. I'm Mr. K- I'm Mr. Mass Pike. That's what I am. That's right. You got back and forth, but um. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know what? You know we are in the process of of creating. Um, we're revamping our, our websites. We're revamping um, pretty much every part of, of of the business. Without you know, and we're we're doing it to um, uh, hopefully without negatively impacting you know our ratings position or anything like that in the market. But um, you know, my goal is to is is to have uh, integration. Between the radio stations and podcasts, um, and 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 have one play off the other, um, and uh, you know I believe that, and, and I and I I'll tell you where I got the idea from is um, if you ever watch the Sunday Today Show, Willie Geist has his Sunday sit down,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and on the tel- on the TV show, yeah, they play about maybe five minutes, or maybe a little more of an interview. Mm-hmm. Um, and then then what does he say for the rest of it right. go exactly. to willieguys.com or whatever it is i exactly, that, or sunday yeah. sit down or something like that right, right and you get them to go there mm-hmm. and we've already started doing that with some of our musical um uh, uh programming musical content um because the cape um very much like the berkshires uh the music scene is starting to come back now, the Cape is, and that's the other thing I got to tell you that I just love. And I was very surprised when I moved back here two years ago, uh, even though the pandemic you know, had us all on ice for about a year. Um, there's more live music in the Berkshires now than there was when I left 40 years ago. Wow. And and uh, you can go anywhere, any night and hear some really good music. The Cape is very similar, but not nowhere to the degree, I think, that the Berkshires are at. But the Cape was also a hotbed of music back in the day. You know, I mean, I mean, bands like Jay Giles and Aerosmith and Boston, they all got their start on the Cape. They didn't Hmm. get their start in Boston. They were from Boston, but they really made their names, particularly in the summertime playing in clubs in the Cape. That's and and there are many, many other people that also uh, many other uh, good artists that that also went through that we have an opportunity to mine that in, in this gen you know right now and that's one of the things that i that we have our eyes and ears open to out there um to make it relevant because people want to hear local bands people yeah. want to know what's going on they mm-hmm. want to be entertained mm-hmm. they want to be in the know um and if you're in if and if you're if you're programming your stations uh, the way that they've always been programmed you're not going to get there people are going to be like i don't need this yeah you know that,
0: that local flavor and then especially if you have that scene that's happening and it's actually interesting that you say because there's probably a lot of people in berkshires who don't think there's a lot of live music because maybe they're not aware of it or they're not looking for it but you love music mm-hmm. you live here in the berkshires and uh and you know what you know you know what's going on here because you follow it. <laughs> it's it's
1: I, it's wonderful and it's and it's good it's not it's not I mean, we're not talking cover bands, mm-hmm. we're talking real good original music, you know, and, uh, and, and, um, and, and, you know, from everywhere from from Egremont to, to, uh, to uh, North Adams there's just phenomenal music all over
0: the place that's good so and, anyway and, and so, I think yeah I guess some of those acts on I've been I've been working on a couple bands to get on the podcast my 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 setup isn't uh you know maybe ready for it but <laughs> but they can bring their amp in and just plug it in yeah and do it that way but so you transition and then now you own stations okay? Yeah. so so and and um and we had been talking during some of those times and I and I know what you've been through because the, it's it's not easy to buy radio stations There's kind of, this industry is maybe insular in a way in some ways just the, the the sort of mechanism of how you actually literally go to buy radio stations so take us through that a little bit and how, <laughs> and, how <laughs> and how you ended up you know succeeding and in, in owning stations
1: well uh, first of all i'll tell you when i started the, the the process i had a lot more hair than i am now because <laughs> it was pretty stressful um actually in all seriousness um it took about six years to f- actually get to 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 get to the point where you know we closed on properties um uh and 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 not having done it before uh the biggest challenge was getting funding was was being able to find people who will invest uh and the big the big investment uh groups um you know they would tell me oh yeah you you got a great reputation your your plan it looks looks good but you know we'd be we'd be more comfortable if you had experience so i'm like well how am i going to experience if you don't (laughs) help me um but uh um and and i've i've inquired about the berkshire stations several times town square doesn't want to sell them um at least not for a price that i want to pay um uh but we'll keep talking um hopefully um and uh i had i had become aware of these radio stations that i did acquire i I became aware of them um 10 years ago Uh, a gentleman by the name of john garabedian who's a who's a legendary boston uh radio talent he's in the radio hall of fame um he, uh, he bought these stations, uh, piecemeal and put them together. Uh, and then, uh, he was also an engineer, um, um, but not by trade, but he, 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 he loves, you know, the engineering side of the business. And he, um, it, it was really a hobby for him because he doesn't need the money. He's, he's super rich and he, he, um, But he he bought these radio stations and then he went about configuring the the signals, the radio signals, so that there was a that he minimized the waste of the signal over water so that um, these four radio stations cover the entire Cape and the islands and Nantucket and uh, Martha's Vineyard. And it's 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 it really is a a. a a work of art how he did this with the with the signals and the trans and the antennas and the transmitters and and the translators and the four brands are are strong brands are well known on the cape uh one of them is a rock station wp pxc pixie 103 it's 35 years as cape cod's rock and um and then uh we have y101 WHYA. Uh, which is a uh, CHR station, which is, uh, you know, for young people. Um, we have Elvis Duran. We syndicate Elvis Duran from Z100 in New York on, in the mornings, and then the rest of the day is local. Um, and then we have uh, the most interesting name of a radio station, and I did not name it, is uh, Frank FM. And <laughs> Frank FM is a, is a greatest hits of the 80s and 90s. And it, Frank is 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 formatted to attract a woman between the ages of thirty four and forty four, um, and it does <laughs> so a great where did job. Frank,
0: where did Frank come from? Where did uh, <laughs> truth be told, Frank was the ladies created. Ladies love Frank's. I guess the, the, na- <laughs> the,
1: the name Frank FM was uh, supposedly a shot at a gentleman who is a legendary broadcaster named Frank Osborne, who lives on the Cape, and um, they named it after him. Um, I'm not sure if it was in respect or if it was as a joke but <laughs> it's been Frank has been in existence for almost 10 years now nice <laughs> um and then our last station is coffee FM um uh, w- uh, K- F- yeah I oh, know yeah. the way you drink coffee <laughs> but coffee FM is is a is an, a, an adult contemporary station but it, it skews for adults 50 plus which is perfect for the year-round residents of the Cape and it really is the our, our, our cell line is the soundtrack of Cape Cod, and it really is. It's 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 interesting um, uh, because we have people that will listen to coffee and they'll also listen to Pixie and which I, I, can't, I can't imagine those two being on somebody's dial you know, button pushing between those two, but they do. And so uh, and the thing that attracted me, nothing that attracted me about the group back six years ago was its ability to reach the Cape Cod female from cradle to grave. Hmm. And that's important because um, if you you keep the female population engaged, the male population will follow Hmm. in some degree. Hmm. Um, And they're also the main consumers so you want to have uh, you know a, a, you, you want to ha- have a significant hold on the female listenership and then um, and then Pixie is the perfect you know combination to to balance it out so um, john i'd met john garabedian when i was at Westwood 1 cuz john had done a network show called uh, Saturday House Party and he had, he ran he had that show for i want to say 30 years um, and we syndicated it. And um, uh, I, I met John early on in my days at Westwood because he came into New York to complain that we he wasn't making enough money with his show. but We weren't selling it well enough. And I remember when my office manager came in and said, hey, John Garabedian wants to have lunch with you tomorrow. And I looked at her and I said, who's John Garabedian? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, Well, you syndicated show. I'm like, oh. Um, and I quickly had to learn and do some research really Yeah. <laughs> well, he and I became good friends. And uh, and he's got Berkshire roots. He uh he he loves the Berkshires, um, uh has friends out here. Um, and um, and we just maintained a friendship. And I said to and I one time I went out, I was on the Cape and I called him up and I and he says, Come on, come on down and let me show you the stations. And uh and uh so I did. And when we were all done, I was like, oh my god. Um I said, let me I said, if you ever want to sell these, let me know. And uh and I kept going back to them, as you know, because we started talking, I started telling you about this what five years I and mean, four know, years ago.
0: Been, it has been
1: an odyssey for you. And um <laughs> And, uh, and his price was always
0: way too high. And I, I, I wouldn't be able to make it work. So there are, ra- there are radio standards for that. Like, what is the value of a radio station, you know? So h- how does that work? Because people are like, oh, well, what's the value of a radio station? Well, you have a, a building. You have, a, a, I guess, a tower maybe that they own. There's a signal. There's equipment. But like, what? You know, h- how, do, how do you value a station?
1: Well, the most valuable thing that a radio station has right now Is the fcc licenses Mm. because if you don't have the licenses you can't make any money right because you can't run a radio station that's a that's a pirate radio station and they'll shut you down yeah (laughs) Um, but uh and 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 you you can't build you know your streaming platform off it you can't build your websites unless you have the licenses so the licenses are the most valuable thing but how you value the price of of a of a group is uh pretty much um based on what's known as cash flow which Is another word for profit and cash flow is 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 the profit you make after you know you pay all your bills and um and back in the day you know radio stations were sold for you know 14 15 sometimes 20 times cash flow um so if you're cash flowing a million bucks your price tag was 20 million if you want to buy this thing um uh not only radio but pretty much every every traditional media um uh, platform the 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 um the matrix or the metrics for uh for uh valuing the the price has dropped nowadays anything um, between five and seven times cash flow is usually something you can make work and uh and John and I finally got to that magic window and um and we were able to 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 close the deal and you know he was very he was very complimentary John is John is 80 years old and uh he uh he he said to me he goes you know I, I've got to get my affairs in order he doesn't have any heirs uh and um and he said you know I it's it's time and he said um and, and, and some of this was selling me though too, but he goes. He said, uh, <laughs> "He's good." He said, he's he's sa- good. "He said, I, he said, I, I built these things. I'm proud of what I built, and I want to give them to some. I want to hand them off to someone like you because I built them. Now you can sell them." And uh, and, and 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 so we did. We did the deal, and we closed on November 30th. This past November 30th which is the worst time to close on a radio station because first quarter is the worst quarter of the year for, for media Mm. because you're coming out of the holidays. It's so, you know, it, it, it's funny. You, You get in there and it's like, Oh my God, what did I do? Um, but we're having a great year. And, and the other thing that played that the other thing that really helped me, um, is, uh, I knew radio was going to take off once The pandemic ended and what really started the growth and not just for radio but for all media and for most businesses was the key was when they announced the vaccines when the fda approved the vaccines um because that started things opening up and one thing that was good for that i was fortunate even though first quarter is really really weak is that if you remember correct if you remember last year the vaccines were released in March so last first quarter we were still in the throes of the pandemic so to so the growth was would be huge mm-hmm. and it is it was mm-hmm. we had a we had a we we ended first quarter up 45 percent over last year big number <laughs> and 29 percent the the last year that you can use use as a, as a metric for whether or not you're doing well is 2019. Mm -hmm. And we finished first quarter up 29% over 2019. Amazing! And 2019 was their best year ever as a group. So it's, and it's, and it's continuing on into the year. We're having a great second quarter. Mm -hmm. Um, the Cape is just, just now starting to wake up. You know, there's, it's starting to come into the season of the Cape. Mm -hmm. Um, and I applied the same, um, you know, the, the, the same strategies that I've done everywhere else. The beautiful thing is that uh, it's the first time that I've ever gone into managing something that wasn't a train wreck. Uh, and I had a better term for it, but I'll keep it clean. This this group, uh, the the sales staff is strong, the, the on-air staff is strong. Um, everybody is focused. Everybody's into it. Everybody um, John had, they're incredibly loyal. They were incredibly loyal to John. And one thing that they recognize is that I'm here to advance it. John had it basically as his hobby and yeah, he loved it. And he, and he was dedicated to it, but he just wanted, he, you know, he wasn't into, no, we're going to grow this thing. We're gonna, um, and, uh, and I'm into, as I said before, expanding into other content platforms, podcasts uh we have to improve our stream that's that's that is the one thing that it's hard to convince die hard radio people that this is where the audience is going right right okay (laughs) um you're not going to need an antenna in 10 years yeah yeah. um but if you don't pay attention to that you're going to fail um so I've been like a maniac pushing the upgrade and improvement of our streams and our websites and and then the other thing is that uh just like I did in Detroit is have we have really pushed the radio stations out into the community um we uh we have done four blood drives already throughout the cape because I don't know I don't know how it is here in the Berkshires but in the Cape blood is 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 scarce Mm. and it's a real problem because of the pandemic because people wouldn't go and donate blood um so we have been uh we've done four blood drives already we've got four more scheduled uh for the rest of the year um we uh, I just signed an, a, an exclusive
0: agreement with the Falmouth Road Race oh nice um yeah as you well know well, as being a, a runner well, well, you, well as you well know and so it, it helps to bring your own sort of uh expertise uh you know you as mm-hmm. a runner I mean Falmouth Road Race is a worldwide recognized event
1: fifth most recognizable road race in the world wow fifth <laughs> over, over things like the Berlin marathon. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A lot of marathons aren't, <laughs> aren't so, as well known. <laughs> so, so, um, and what, and,
1: and I, and we actually stole it from iHeart um, cause iHeart didn't do anything for them. And what people didn't realize, and I never realized is that the money that the road race makes, they donate, or they, 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 they give as grants, to nonprofits and mm. they give two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of grants and scholarships. And the grants are to nonprofits and scholarships are to high schools, high school seniors, non-athletic. Yeah. Is how they uh, they evaluate they they award it based on on what the student has done in a certain field like science or math or history or yeah. and uh and I just and I just approached them and said, "Look, not only will we make this part of the fun of the of race day, which and I cu- quite honestly I stole the idea from what we did um, uh, we did at, at uh, Clear Channel, where we had five radio stations in Manhattan and we put them at strategic points of the New York Marathon. Mm. What we're going to do uh, beginning this year is um, my four radio stations are going to be based at four strategic points in the Falmouth Road Race." We're going to have coffee FM at the start because coffee is soft and easy rock and the runners are just hanging out, chilling in woods hole and woods hole doesn't want all these people there. So (laughs) hopefully the musical soothe the savage beast of the, of the, of the population of woods hole, who has to put up with all these, all these runners in in their, in their little town. Um, so they'll be at, that'll be at the start at three miles. We're going to have, um, uh, Frank FM playing greatest sits of the eighties and nineties at mile five, we're going to have Y one Oh one, which is the young station, which is, you know, uh, energy, build the energy even more. And at the finish, we'll have pixie leading into the big party afterwards and the baseball field. But then what we, what we're also doing is, and this is what, what won the day for us is I've committed to doing, um, uh, uh features throughout the year, on every student that gets a scholarship, and on every nonprofit that gets a grant, we That's will awesome. we will feature and highlight what their special what, the, how, what the, how special the students are each each individually, and then each nonprofit that gets that that is awarded a grant,
0: what their uh, uh, what kind of work they're doing in the mm-hmm. community. Yeah, the, the, about radio. Okay, so you have your you have your key moments, you have your drive times and everything, but you still have twenty four hours of content to fill that gives you a lot of opportunity and then uh when you create that localized really great content that means something to people it doesn't have to just live on the air of course yet now and that that's the beautiful thing about it if you were Mm -hmm. you know because you have those um you know, how would you describe it? Uh, Where, where the content lives, you Mm -hmm. know, like a lot of people say, okay, well, you're putting a video. Well, where does it live? Well, it lives on YouTube and then you embed it and that sort of thing. Same Mm -hmm. thing here. Like, yeah, it goes out on the air at certain times, but like, you know, you have that opportunity to have it live on your website and so Mm -hmm. forth. And it has value. Mm -hmm. So all that is uh, really cool. And (laughs) I was thinking also like, they have those rock and roll marathons too. Like, I don't know if Falmouth does much of that. I mean, there's probably music playing, you know, at the, the station where they're they're set but um but yeah i mean road races again there's a lot of there's a lot of steps between the start and the finish (laughs) you know there's a lot of road there that uh you know so i always love those rock and roll marathons i think there's still one out there um or even there's a franchise of them so Mm -hmm. those are all kinds of awesome things you can do out there yeah
1: and then we we also uh are doing a uh a a concert series every thursday uh, sorry wednesday night uh, in which we we call it the Homegrown series. Um, we have a show called Homegrown on Sunday nights, which is just about Cape Cod bands, mm-hmm. and we're going to uh, highlight another band each week, um, and uh, we'll do that uh, for six Wednesdays, beginning the first Wednesday after the Fourth of July. Man, um, you are
0: cranking it out, man. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> you're like, you're it, just you know, it, it, it
1: makes a difference, and it and it yeah. and it wins people. And the other thing too, John, which I'll, I'll say is the pandemic screwed up a lot of people and the population of the cape increased 24% the year round population hmm. increased 24% in the no last kidding. 18 months from people moving wow. from boston new york hartford and providence mm-hmm. mostly the locals their you know their routines were all were all uh, uh, you know ripped apart by the pandemic as well Well, we have, I've I've told my staff this over and over again, by my estimation, we have until probably September, October to get ourselves firmly entrenched in the new routines of not only those people who moved into the area, but the people who were here before that are now getting back to a regular life. So we've got to be out there. We've got to we've got to uh, uh, make ourselves. We're known, but we got to ma- put ourselves out there. But more importantly, is we got to make things work, and we got to engage the audience. Hmm. We got to engage the audience. We got to engage the the, the uh, advertisers. And make it all work so that's why i've been like a full like a like a full court press <laughs> since december and, putting a lot of miles
0: and, on the car and, on the and, pike. and you have a home uh in the berkshires and um and i and i want to be sensitive to, to your time but uh but i i want to make sure that people know hey you have your berkshire roots i mean you live here but it didn't you know, it didn't just come out of nowhere where oh, I'm going to live in the Berkshires. Well, you uh, you didn't uh, weren't born here, but uh, you certainly had some formative years uh, here in the Berkshires through through high school. particularly.
1: Yeah. And 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 uh, um, that, you know, the Berkshires are truly the foundation of of uh, of everything I've done. I mean, um, you know, when I when we moved up here, I, w- I was uh, 14 yeah going on 15 and um and uh, in New Jersey I was headed for trouble Mm. I was and I moved up we moved up here and my first thought was oh my God this is awful (laughs) because I'd come from right out you know 15 minutes outside of Manhattan Mm. and uh and uh I gotta tell you something um my experience in the Berkshires, I've I've it, it transformed me and and it was all about quite honestly, a lot of it was music. A lot of it was, was just the, the, the environment and the people. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I, went to college, um, in 1976, I left for college and, um, and my, from the moment I left to the time I, till I got back here two years ago, my, my plan was to always get back here. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, to I, I wanted to establish my business here, and I did. Now I just got to get some radio stations closer <laughs> to the merchers.
0: <laughs> it's all right. You, you set the foundation for it, right? <laughs> so, but yeah, no, I'm. I'm. Uh, oh yeah. I, I,
1: and I think. And I think there's no better time for me anyway to get back here. And the, and the interesting thing is, a lot of people that that were, you know kids when i you know high school kids when i was in high school that have moved away or moving back yeah you know i i I know half a dozen right now yeah and And there are are some good friends of yours who never left
0: (laughs) some good friends who never left
1: who who quite honestly there are many times where i've said to them you did it right (laughs) because you didn't have all the
0: nonsense i had but anyway it's it's good stuff it's it good stuff good. well um Steve I'll keep following uh everything that's happening in the Cape I I hope that one day uh you do get uh, a station or three or four uh five uh here in the Berkshires that would be fantastic um but, I would love uh, I, I I think it's amazing the story that you had a lot of opportunities to kind of veer away that may have been uh maybe more income driven at the time or or what have you but you stayed true to your passion um and uh and and you're clearly happier for it oh yeah and um and i think that's like what that's a powerful powerful story
1: Oh, thanks thanks i hope i hope it was i hope it's engaging and entertaining i don't know it's
0: uh <laughs> i love it. always the judge <laughs> like, hmm, will this uh yeah it, will this uh do well in peoria you know? yeah i know i i <laughs>
1: Uh, like I said, compared to some of the people you've, 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 uh, you've had in, on this podcast, uh, this might be a bit of a snoozer, but the, uh, <laughs> no. I, I think this is the best one.
0: So, but
1: anyway, but, but, uh, it's, it's great. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. And, and, uh, I do hope, I hope that, uh, that, uh, you know, I can, I can, uh, make an impact here, uh, the way we have in other places and we'll see, we'll see.
0: Keep we'll listening. See. Onward and upward. Yeah. <laughs> Be cool. well and best to your family. Thanks, John. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the John Crow Podcast on your platform of choice. Maybe it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whatever works for you. Also, I would like to hear from you on the people and the stories that you'd like to hear more of. Send me a note through Facebook Messenger, Instagram, LinkedIn. I'm easy to find and I'm easy to reach. look forward to hearing from you. And if you'd like to support the podcast for less than a cup of coffee, and I'm not talking about the cost of a large latte at a fancy coffee shop. No, more like a McDonald's coffee. Go into the description of this episode and scroll down to the anchor.fm link. It's right there. Just click it and you can see your options or log on to anchor.fm backslash john hyphen kroll backslash support. Again, Thank you for listening. I'm John Kroll. Talk to you soon.